0: 5 2 8 2
1: Hello and welcome to this fourth episode of 5282. Why 5282? Well, if you're after information on NGC 5282, the elliptical galaxy in Canes Venatici, you'll have to go elsewhere for your Sky Night fix. This is a podcast exploring popular and fringe culture, focusing on music, film and television. We contend that between 1952 and 82, Western culture underwent incredible and rapid change. A bit like English cricket and basketball but we are nothing if not contrarians, and so we will discuss any other time and topic that takes our fancy. In this, episode four, we will be suggesting music, films and art for you to explore, and for our main topics we will discuss box sets, what are they good for, and later on, the career of Kevin Ayres. With me is box set completist, Kevin Petch.
0: Hi, are you all right?
1: I'm very well. And box set agnostic, William Asbury.
2: Uh, Hello, David.
1: Thank you very much. And uh, I'm David Ben. and this episode I will record everything we say for a change. <laughs> uh, on with the podcast. Oh,
2: it's wonderful to have you tonight. Well, we weren't sure whether or not we'd have you with us today.
1: We start every episode with no show but Sherlock. This time we are recommending a film, an album, and a book you may definitely have heard of, but have not watched, listened to, or Red I'm going to start this week with one of my favourite films of all time which is The French Connection released in 1971 it stars Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider as two embittered, hardened cops searching for an importer of heroin and it's not an easy investigation in a way, this is a film that ends the 60s any ideas you've got about a glorious, lovely summer of love? <laughs> By 71, it's all got very, very grim. The urban scenes of decay and falling apart buildings and rattling um, overhead railways as people rush around trying to hammer out an investigation. Um, I won't give anything much away about the plot. It just involves a lot of very gritty action, and I'd highly recommend it. If you've never seen um, a film with one of the great car chases, some of the great characters, some of the great dialogue, you really need to uh, sit down, start picking your toes <laughs> and watch uh, The French Connection. So, Kevin, what have you got for us?
0: Uh, I've got some music for you. To, um, John Cale's Mercy, his, his recent album that came out um, a few months ago. Um so yeah, John Cale, one of the founding members of the Velvet Underground, he's released his 17th studio album, which is quite an effort, really. John turned 80 in March, but there's no evidence of him slowing down. His recent tour, which Bill and I were lucky enough to go to, was incredible, wasn't it, Bill?
2: Yes, it was, Kevin. really, it was yes, really, yes, yes, really good. Yeah.
0: And, it, and it showed John that he's still at the top of his game, I would have thought.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's eighty. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, he's right there. Mm. I mean, lots of people that I know that saw the gig, you know, I, I knew more than than us two that went to it were really impressed. Mm. And, mm. and and young people that weren't sort of ad- adherents, you know, they've been following me all the way through. Yeah. You know, mm. you know, were very impressed. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was superb. So the album Mercy, um, it's very experimental in nature um it's full of collaborations too um including laurel halo wears blood animal collectives A-V-A-Tire, actress and fat, fat white family um but kale's voice is at the forefront of every track which you 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 can tell it you really can tell that it's a john kale record I'm sorry to interrupt your yeah. flow but the the cookie wood
2: one was it uh, oh Nuk- Nookie wood yeah, yeah yeah I mean that was, he was flirting with all sorts of modern mm. dance idioms and voice processing and things yeah, is yeah. he still doing that
0: he's still doing that yeah I would say he's doing it more right yeah which 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 is you know for for, for a guy in it in, was eighty I think it's brilliant that it's still he's still there still yeah. you know and with those collaborations that I've just mentioned so yeah Mercy's out on Double Six Records, which is a subsidiary of Domino Records, which is, I think, my probably my favourite record Oh, they bring, out
2: they bring out Mr. Wyatt.
0: They are great. But Mercy, I think, is, is up there with, with, with a lot of his best stuff. And, yeah, I would uh, recommend it.
1: Fantastic. I think we're all, uh, all three of us are, um, are quite John Cale fans. And that'll yeah. be for many years. Mm. Uh, Bill, I think you've got an uh, iconic book for us.
2: Yes, David. I'm going to talk about uh, Ian Forster's "The Machine Stops," um, a novelist who's famous for his uh, what has been turned by the uh, film industry into uh, countless costume dramas, you know, such as "Passage to India," "Howard's End," uh, "Room with a View." Uh, but in 1909, he brought out a 38-page short story called "The Machine Stops." and uh, which sort of prefigures the sort of world we may be coasting towards now. Everybody lives in their own little individual cell underground. Uh, They're not encouraged to meet, and all their needs are satisfied by the machine, which is controlled by a central committee. So the bed rolls out of the wall, their food rolls out, their washing facilities. And they all stare at a screen and communicate with each other through a screen. They're not encouraged or they've lost a the desire to actually meet each other. They still can, m- just about, but they're not encouraged to. Uh, in fact, some of them live on the other side of the world from each other and they could visit each other because in the story a network of airships is travelling around the world in a constant flow, which hardly anybody uses anymore, sort of mostly empty airships going around the world. Now, the thing about the story, it isn't steampunk. It's very modern in its writing, and obviously it doesn't, it can't go further than the technology that was there at the time. Thus, we have airships. But at the same time, it's very, very, very on the bottom about how things could be and how things are now. It, basically, the story is about a mother and a son who uh, both live at either ends of the world and the son wants to see his mother in the flesh and the mother um, is into the social norm, hook, line, sinker, and is quite reluctant to this. What the mother wants to, what the son wants to see the mother about, would be a spoiler, and uh, I uh, suggest you read it.
1: So it's seen as a uh, both a science fiction and a dystopian classic, isn't it? And, and the machine itself, the, the clues in the title: things are about to unwind, aren't they? Well, yes. But let's not uh, yes, get to the end. Yes, that's right. Right. Well, thanks very much, Bill and Kevin. languages language is rather picturesque, but the meaning is perfect. You flatter yourself. In this week's episode, our main talking point is, are box sets a rip-off? I think uh, on the panel we have uh, differing views. To be clear, we are talking about the super deluxe, limited edition style box sets. Not where you can get you know, three series of The Sopranos on a uh, once collection, or um, even a collection of albums from a a fairly obscure band. We're talking about the full works, big box, certificate of ownership, lots of uh, interesting or not-so-interesting contents. I think it's fair to say the average fan thinks that these are a a bit of a rip-off. Those same fans, of course, will eagerly pay extremely high um, amounts for gig tickets, or even the same amount for a a meal out with a decent gastropub. So... The value of these things is of of interest to us. Um, Just two examples. The Ultravox uh, Quartet album released as a massive six-CD and DVD set with the original version of the album, a new remix, a CD of B-Sides, a cassette of rehearsal takes the classic Hammersmith Odeon December 82 um, gig remastered on a two-CD set, and so on and so forth. Now, that's a snip 85 quid. It almost falls under the um, <laughs> benchmark we're setting. Hmm. But if you've, uh, if you've got £200 to burn, there's Wham!, the singles deluxe set. I mean, it's for seven-inch singles in a box set, but it does come with a metal key ring. Oh. So, I mean, oh. you know... Oh. Now it seems to me. When do you say
0: we're out, Dave? <laughs> you, <laughs> I'm can, straight there. I can give you a, a link. To,
1: <laughs> now it it seems to me that it doesn't matter how obscure or how brief your career was, you can you can get a deluxe box set out of it. No matter how obscure a Hollywood film, you can get something with uh, two versions of a film and some action figures. Mm. So, well, Kevin, I do believe you may own a number of box sets.
0: I do actually, yeah. Um, I own music and uh, Blu-ray, DVD kind of things, yeah. Ah, Music-wise, I don't know. Sometimes it it's a little bit. But when they when they bring out like the, the David Bowie eras box sets that they they've sort of been bringing out over the years. Most of us have got all these songs anyway, and and what what you're doing is is you you buying. All of this again to maybe just get one album that has been kept away from us, like a lost album, something like that. You know, you think to yourself, "Can I? Can I spend over a hundred pounds on on that?"
1: And, and do you?
0: No, you don't. <laughs> I, 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 did, I did. I didn't do that.
1: So, we, I mean, we were just discussing before we started recording. You've got the Sgt Pepper 50th anniversary. Yes. Uh, what motivated you to buy that? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's obvious. Yeah, knowing you, but yes, could just say.
0: Uh... I mean, the whole the whole package of of Sergeant Pepper is incredible. It's in it's in like a you know like the the big the big tapes that they recorded on years ago. Yeah, it's actually in like one of the MI box boxers. Shot it to you, Bill, the other day. Yeah, didn't that's right. And it's in, it's incredible. But in, once you get inside, you, you, you've got you've got this really nice book, and it is nice. It is a it is a nice book, but what swayed it for me in a way was it included various mixes of the uh, of, of the album primarily the mono version which is a lot darker than than the the stereo versions it's, it's a it's a brilliant thing to to listen to but penny lane and um strawberry fields forever were reinstated because they really should have been on the album you know originally when it first came out but they decided to to yep. put it on as, as as a double A single instead, so yeah. I, and
1: how about bonus content in there? I mean,
0: yeah, well, there again, um, there's a couple. There's a couple of Blu-rays which has got like little little films about the making of Sgt. Pepper, which is not available anywhere else. Um, you've, you've also got obviously take take one, take two, take. You know, you've got all the takes of, of, of all all the songs that are on Sgt. Pepper's. Normally I wouldn't have gone there, but for some reason um, it's re- it's a really, really special album to me.
1: Um, I mean, I, I, I think I've um, picked not the best example there because that is probably, in my opinion, value for money and an important piece of work. Yes, yeah. Um, but plenty of others, you just think, well, do I really need to, uh, to listen to um, a CD full of the same track over and over again, which I think... Bill, you might agree with that, owning a certain Bob Dylan box set. Well,
2: that's it. I was, I was called the box set agnostic earlier. <laughs> now, I'm not sure whether I'm the agnostic or the inheritor. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, I have, I have, what's stopped me from having box sets in the past is probably my sort of uh, poor financial state. But I do have an overview that certain things do annoy me. I think, you know, I wanted to comment earlier on when you say something's brought out and some rare album is brought out amid a load of things that you already have. Mm. It's done in a letter extent uh, where something's brought out on a DVD of a famous concert and the audio of a famous concert and they leave a track off on the audio but it's on the DVD. Mm. Mm. And you say, why have they done that? They could have put it on. Mm. You know, Mm. is it not good enough just to listen to? So there's all these little marketing gambit, gambits, which I'm very, very suspicious of. And yeah. right, you're right, Dave, and this does become part of Bill, the inheritor of box sets because uh, my brother died not so long ago and uh, he went hook, line and sinker for some of the artists that he really loved, buying, you know, incredibly expensive things. It's phenomenal when I think about it, a bit scary, really. But uh, yes, I've got this Bob Dylan "Blood on the Tracks" box
0: set is it, that is I it decided the, the, to bring back. The, the more, more blood, more tracks. That's is, is, the yeah, one, right? Yeah.
2: I already had the double CD, yeah. which I think mm-hmm. is quite good, and yeah. I, I, love the album like a lot of the world loves. Though, bringing this box set back to my cave, uh, I don't know if I want to listen to yeah. twelve versions of "Buckets of Rain." Yeah. Um,
1: well, this is an issue, isn't it, for me, you know, the many issues I've got with box sets, is that there was a reason they weren't used. There was a reason they were mm. technically thrown away, although not completely thrown away, unfortunately. Mm. And, uh, I mean, for, for both of you, have you ever heard something on a box set or a limited edition where you think, oh, actually, no, that's better than the original? You no. mentioned the Sgt. Pepper's worth listening to because it's a different mix. It's
0: a different mix, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I, I feel you see, if you're very interested in a group, like if it's going back to the Beatles. Another things I brought back from my brother's hoard to mm. my cave was the White Album, mm. which has about, I don't know, f- at least six discs, I think.
0: It's got, it's got the, the, is it the I Should the I Should Done? It, yes, yes, it's, it's got what the I'm, demos that, on that's it. That's yeah.
2: what I was about to, uh, yeah. mm. uh, you. You're thinking with my thoughts. Sorry, but no, you don't. <laughs> he may, well, sorry.
1: He may well do the box set.
2: You don't have to you don't have to apologise. <laughs> uh, because uh, case of point, you know, that's kind of interesting if you're into the Beatles. Mm. Might not be as interesting to somebody who likes the Beatles and isn't deeply into the pond, so to speak. Mm. Mm. And you could say you might be exploiting, you know. Who are they being made for? Mm. I think to a certain extent they are made to milk more money out of the obsessive collectors. Well, we're
1: getting straight to the Harvey now because this Mm. is what I think. I I know that many artists become involved in the creation of these products Mm. and feel passionately about them, Mm. but I ultimately see them as exploitative because I think they're they're put together mostly by people who are thinking, how can we squeeze more money? Mm. I mean, that's just capitalism, isn't it? It's Mm. like, you've got cash. We yeah. want your cash. We'll give you something in exchange for well, it. I, well,
2: mm. I, 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 could honestly say, David, even though my financial position has improved a bit, if I inherited sort of the half a dozen little things I brought back, mm. I probably wouldn't go out and buy them. Yeah. Uh, and this, mm. we'll talk about the, uh, you know, the apex of the pyramid, which might mm. be, the, well, in this instance, mm. might be the. Uh, the casket that contains <laughs> yeah. Pink, yeah. Floyd. Yes. Yes. Pink yeah. Floyd. Yeah. Pink Floyd, 1965 to 72. Yes. Oh, what yeah. a beast. And like you open mm. the casket mm. and there you have it. Yeah. Each mm. each little year. Yeah. It's like a well, not you wouldn't call it a box set, but it's almost like a a book set. Yes. You know with yeah. a CD, DVD, Blu-ray for mm. each year. Mm. And and then there's the 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 kind of paraphernalia, memorabilia
1: of um, Ticket stubs and mm. photographs
0: yeah, yeah. and other stuff.
1: I mean, yeah. in, the, in sort of modern marketing parlance, my sort of background,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I can see myself typesetting this up and saying, oh, yeah, this is, this is something which is lovingly curated.
0: Mm. It's been mm. carefully
1: put together with consideration for you, yeah. the, uh, the connoisseur, connoisseur of mm. uh, Pink Floyd.
2: I, but I also think that sometimes uh, if you're thinking about playing music, you want to do it easily. Yes, And if you've got to dismantle some great edifice thing in front of you and mm. search through to find the right little booklet with the right discs in, yeah. and by the time you get there, you might have mm. lost your appetite for listening to that music.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. And I do wonder if there are some people um, who actually would never really open it. I mean, I've got, I've got two things in mind with this. Stories you hear of people with the resurgence in vinyl Mm. Who quite like buy the vinyl, but actually never play it because it's got to look good on the bookshelf. Mm. I also knew somebody a long time ago who was a bit of a cinephile, had an amazing home cinema setup, and he always bought box sets of films and so on in pairs. <laughs> so he bought two. Wow! One was to play, and one was an investment that mm. was going into storage, packed away. Because he thought, at some point in the future, this would be worth a lot of money, mm. and uh, I do wonder if part of the psychology of buying a box set is not chance to open it. I, mm. I, I, it's mm. for the ownership.
2: Mm. I certainly think you know you're right there, David.
0: Looking at it this a different way. Uh, just just going back to you know the Bob Dylan's um, Bootleg series, which is what we were talking about with uh, more blood, more tracks. He's actually got up to volume seventeen now of of these Bootleg uh, releases. But what kind of gets me is, I think a lot of the record companies, what they're actually doing is extending the copyright.
1: Yeah, that's a very good uh, good point, actually. Um, mm, and, and Just keeping it in their control, which yes. is fair enough. Mm. Some
2: of it becomes beyond the artist, doesn't it? Yeah. They yeah. lose control of their own works. It'd be just mm. One of the reasons Robert Fripp stopped making music a few years ago, didn't he? Just yeah. He was losing control. So this brings mm. us
1: on to the commercial aspect of all this. Um, I've had two thoughts on this. I mean, first of all, in terms of CD, vinyl, even cassette tapes, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. but the, the figures are fluid, and you know, vinyls probably doing much better, and CDs are a bit down. They're all pale into insignificance compared to income streams from streaming now. Um, so, our box sets—some sort of way of. Keeping the medium going, keeping DVD and CD and LPs going as a medium to a never shrinking market of older people.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, one of our mutual friends, somebody who might one day put a grouchy contribution into our uh, podcast, um, he, every time he sees one of those, um, one of those, what Kevin would call a box set, which. I think your introduction might have fall uh, ne- outside our remit. Yeah, were those were those little putting say the first five albums of a bands? Yeah, the little cardboard sleeves. that like the LP sleeves. And original the, album classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and um, this friend would always say that's the last gasp of the record industry. You know. Yeah, um, the,
1: the, the record industry, as far as hard uh, formats go, even though that's not the box sets I'm thinking of. I think you've had friends point. Is quite valid that they're yeah. ever, ever, forever trying to find getting more money out of a diminishing um, reserve.
0: You know, I can't move in my house.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, case in point, um Monge, a early to mid eighties, um, fabulous band, synth-pop mm. sort of mm. band, Liv- living
0: Got, on the ceiling. Yeah, I yeah. bought
1: some of their twelve-inch mm. tracks at the time. Liked them a lot. And they had a bit of a longer career as they tailed off into yeah. the 80s and 90s. They went into other, uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, yes, uh, yeah, you can get their box set mm. now. Mm. I'm wondering what what's the market for that? Who are these people who are going to go out and get the deluxe box mm. set of on?
0: You see, if I saw it at the right price, I would buy it, yeah, I really would. I'll give yeah. you
1: a, again, I'll give you a link to a website. Thank or you. Sir. Yesterday.
2: <laughs> I, 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 I don't know whether our listeners, you know, obviously, some will be familiar with the things we're talking about but when we were talking about the Blood on the Tracks um, mm. box set when I talked about lots of different versions of um, Buckets of Rain, they're all on the same CD. Oh,
1: it's yeah. a bit um, obsessive which leads me on to another mm. part of all this I think why mm. I, I don't own a single box set of anything I think of the, um, that bit of my brain is missing
0: right.
1: that, that need to be a completist or to acquire things. Um, and I'm not talking about having a box set with all the lovely pamphlets and little toys or little gizmos and stuff. I mean, just mm. the idea of all that music, I just think, well, you know.
2: Well, yeah, I, and I, I think I'm with you there, David. I mean, part of me does like having a lot of things by my favourite bands. Mm. Um, I'll have their bad tracks as well as their good tracks because mm-hmm. I'm interested in the artistry. But to me, it is the artistry and the music I don't mind if things are on CDRs. Um, you know, I do like to listen to different versions of things that people have done. Mm. But at the same time, I don't want to get them because they're just everything somebody has released. Mm. Yeah. You know, um,
1: well, yeah, for me, so all of the bands I am a, like the nearest it comes to being a completist is the Cocktail Twins. Mm. So I own a lot of their stuff on mm. CD, LP. And on uh, digital, and some things I've bought more than once in different formats. Mm. Uh, however, their uh, their box set retailing at 300 pounds <sighs> of their EPs. Um, I bulk at that. I just think mm. f- 300, what three hundred? What? Yeah, as you say, maybe I'm uh, just too much of a Yorkshireman. <laughs> well, it, well,
2: it, but it also make, you know makes you wonder. I, I mean, I've got a very high standards for my artists. You know, it mm. um, makes you wonder: is it the record company? Or is it my artist wanting more money, you know? Mm-hmm. And you start wondering about these things. Haven't they got enough money? Uh, have they got a lot of alimony to pay? With the film stars, that's true, is mm-hmm. sometimes? Yeah, You know, uh, and you just think, oh, you know, how much you need to make?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I've noticed um, researching this, it's emphasised on I knew from a while back, that they're quite canny because the WAM, for instance, I don't think the Ultravox mm-hmm. instance, and many of these other things we're talking about, mm-hmm. You can buy the super deluxe for hundreds of pounds, but you can get portions of it, reasonable amounts of money.
2: Yeah, but it's like buying fish and chips and scraps. Sometimes you just find you've got the scraps.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd uh, like to make a reference there to worldwide listeners that scraps are a Yorkshire delicacy. <laughs> um, mm. Not to be mixed up with mushy peas. No,
0: no. Uh, <laughs> they set on fire as well, really, really well. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, look it up. Yeah, Yeah. along with Ginnells. Well, I think rounding up is in order. I don't think any of us are going to change our positions on this. I think I will declare here and now I I can't see myself ever buying a box set.
2: I bought one box set.
1: You've bought one?
2: I'll tell you what it is. Go on. Well, after seeing the Martins Corkese film about uh, Bob Dylan's running Thunder Tour, I was tempted to buy the one with multiple concerts in, mm, yeah. even though the set is the same. And oh, mm, yeah. but
1: looking forward, um, is there anything on the horizon tempting you? Wham! for singles? <laughs> no. no.
2: If this can be my bit of rounding off, mm-hmm. I don't mind being inheriting the box sets. That I well, that's But yeah. that <laughs> I have, <that> I have <laughs> left behind the ones that I'm. We can't be bothered. It was a bit of a mistake for the blood on the tracks. I'd also say
1: um, that you're a sort of chap who, once you've had your box set fixed for a while, you will be very keen to share it, won't you? You'll be passing these things on. Yeah, you're not a hoarder in any any sense. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, I was thinking about Pink Floyd there. <laughs> yeah, cool yeah. oh, Pink Floyd. I might have to keep that.
0: Uh, my last purchase was um, Pet Shop Boys' um, Smash.
1: Yes, yeah, I saw that.
0: Um, three CDs full of music all of which I already have (laughs) which is a bit ridiculous I know but uh, they're all remastered in 2023 Um, it also includes Blu-ray and uh, with all all the videos in HD which is fantastic Um, I have also I I did buy um, the 1966 Batman box set which which is incredible I I always love the Adam West stuff and it even includes a Hot Wheels Batmobile.
1: Well, if you've got the Hot Wheels tracks to play with, it's <laughs> going to be fantastic.
0: Better get on eBay, Anna.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, when you get it, I'll, I'll come round. Yeah, you're most welcome. <clears throat> <laughs> right, then. well, I think we've um, all agreed to slightly disagree. And uh, thanks very much, lads.
2: Don't hesitate to call on me anytime you need help. Or maybe just
1: plain bored. And in this section, we're going to discuss things we've seen recently. And uh, Kevin's been getting a good run-up of this uh, item. I have. I have. I was out of breath, actually. Not surprised. Yes,
0: yes, yes. So, yeah, Enter the Dragon, the 50th anniversary release in 4K. 4K, Bill. (laughs) Wow. Well, um, it's hard to believe that Enter the Dragon has reached half a century. It only seems like yesterday when I saw it for the first time on the big screen. Having been given the, the 4K treatment, I have to say that the film, with, with its stunning opening fight scene, looks as fresh as the day it was filmed. If you don't know the story, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee stars as Lee got to be like that, isn't it? Uh, he's, a, he's a Shaolin martial artist, recruited by an agent to try and find proof of the illegal business activities of Han. Um, Lee has already been invited to a tournament of martial arts on Hans Island Fortress, so it's kind of perfect cover, really. So, uh, Bruce Lee is seen here in all his glory in what is probably the most influential martial arts movie ever made. Everything about it is perfect. The action, choreographed by Lee himself, uh, the cinematography, Lalo Schifrin's score and Robert Klaus's direction, it all adds up to one hell of a ride. It's absolutely incredible.
2: Is this his first American film, then, after yeah. Hong Kong films? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was in the Green yeah.
0: Hornet TV series, but right. but this is his first... And then he proper. died,
2: of course.
0: Well, yeah, he died before the film was...
2: Yeah, yeah. before it came before out. It came out yeah. Which added more kind of legendary clout to it all. Didn't, didn't it did, know? it did,
0: yeah. So Lee is joined on screen by John Saxon, uh, one of the great American actors. He's always believable in everything he, he puts his name to. The film also introduces us to Jim Kelly, who followed up End the Dragon with Black Belt Jones, which was the same kind of thing, really. It, it was it was, more, very, very and not good. Not as good. Well, I mean, he's not... I don't think um, he's quite got the charisma of Bruce Lee, but it's there. Yeah. So yeah, Enter the Dragon was originally given an X certificate in 1973, the equivalent of an 18 today. Um, it also has some some scenes that were cut, especially the one where Bruce uses nunchaku uh, against Hans Guard. So it's actually an incredible scene. So fa- thankfully, this scene is is now back in. <laughs> it's also reclassified as a 15 for the cinema. I think this is all this thing with with the um you know the the video gaming thing with you know the kids are playing these
1: sort of ultra violent video well, I can't games.
2: imagine that that film has anything uh, as violent as some films
1: do now mm. hardened hardened teenagers They're, they've yeah, seen it, it all a, yeah they've seen it all
0: yeah it's interesting though that it, even though it's a fifteen certificate on the cinema um it still remains an eighteen for for home viewing, but whether people take any notice of that. So are the cut bits back in now? Then the cut bits back in. All yeah. oh, right. Yeah. 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 Thankfully, because it, it always seemed a little bit disjointed when it was missing. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just some. It's just it's just sat there, and you think, oh, well, why has that just happened? You know. But yeah. So if you've sort of never had the pleasure, Enter the Dragon is available on Blu-ray, uh, 4K Ultra HD, and streaming. Um, just a quick word about the incredible soundtrack composed by Lala Schifrin. The score has been expanded, and and it now features all the cues missed in the original release. It, it's an absolute gem. So yeah,
2: there you go. So I'm so, going to come round to your house to watch it, you, Kevin.
1: You're you oh, welcome. Just going to ask, what format did you buy? The full Blu-ray, everything.
0: Um, I've I've got it. I've got it on Blu-ray. Yeah, I've I've not got. A, can you believe this? Uh, I haven't got a 4K player. Not yet. No, when you go yet. to his house,
2: a hologram of Bruce Lee leaps out of the cup and well, smacks <laughs> him in the head. Well, well, You're not supposed
0: to say that, Bill.
1: <laughs> as, as Bill has only just reached 1k <laughs> <laughs> in the past few weeks. Because yeah. yeah. what was your previous TV? Oh, the, 670? Oh,
2: the, the, the steampunk one, you
1: mean? Yeah, <laughs> uh, which, we, uh, which we consigned to the, uh, the, the, the tip. I think we left Recycled the, it.
2: I think we left a little clockwork handle that sort of was <laughs> yeah. on the side behind.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with a little antenna, which was its uh, aerial. That's my favourite Martian. Yeah. Um, I ask that because what about extras?
0: Uh, well, obviously, yeah, the, extra, the extras on, on the um, on the Blu-ray are incredible. Uh-huh. They really are. I mean, they have, they have brought out recently sort of a, a box set that includes all the other films that he made, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is kind of strange really, because it's a Warner Brothers production. Is is uh, Enter the Dragon? So, but but it's actually only on um, on the actual in the box set as as a Blu-ray, whereas everything else on there is 4K. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, there's lots and lots of extras, um, interviews, everything, um, trailers. It's, it's got and anything that you know, if if it's a, if it's about Enter the Dragon, then it's there, which is which is really
1: yeah. good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Bill, I believe you are going to have a completely different topic.
0: Yes, I am. I'm
2: going to talk about the uh, a band I saw in London, didn't they? and they were called the Canny Band. And uh, they're instrumental. They're based in Glasgow, uh, though their main show is from Newcastle. And the three men, one plays keyboards. He's quite a good, proficient keyboard player. When I say keyboards, he has a keyboard that can turn into different kinds of sound worlds. Mm. You know, this is the modern world. Uh, and then an accordion player and a Bodron player. And it's all instrumental. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of the jiggy-jig type stuff going on. But there are slow, kind of languid pieces, such as sort of jazz chord figuring, you know, from mm. our keyboard player. Mm. So they're a
1: fairly new band. Yes, yeah, so they they've
2: made an album, you know. So they have one could, album out of the moment just yeah. quite recently. Yeah, um,
1: you could buy it at the gig. I didn't. Formed, uh, formed before yeah. lockdowns, pandemic, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 16 or 17, 2016. 2017. Yeah, they, they mm.
2: looked a bit younger then when yeah. you see them. I think they might quaff a bit. The
1: Chunky lads. Right. Uh, and I, I see might that uh, Michael Biggins is BBC a Young Traditional Musician of the Year 2021. What, on yeah. What instrument? Uh, this is no click away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what I think you? he was the keyboard player. Keyboard yeah, player. Yeah. 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 Yeah,
2: mm. yeah. He's really good. You know, he's uh, you know, he's he, he's very proficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, good turnout? Yeah, well he was very small venue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a bit like the Royal Park Cellars, which you just saw on the road from us here. Which we were all involved in at one yeah, point. Yes, yeah. so, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> right, well, thanks very much. It's as if he were reaching for something,
2: something specific. I don't understand it. There'll be masterpieces.
1: We now come to Kevin Ayres, founding member of Soft Machine, key figure in British psychedelic rock and maybe member of the alleged Canterbury scene. Mr. William Osprey.
2: Yes, David. Yeah, Kevin Ayers, one of my long-time heroes. Actually, a man who always evaded fame, Mm. and he's uh, sort of notorious for that. Actually, sadly, left us in two thousand and thirteen. Only sixty-eight, as well. Yeah, yeah. Just no age. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, that's the age I am. (laughs) Anyway, Kevin Ayers. Yes, alleged Canterbury scene. Well, he was born. In Hearn Bay, which is uh, near enough Canterbury, but he's uh, moved out to Malaya for a a large part of his uh, childhood, which might contribute to him always fleeing to sunny climes.
0: Mm, He seems to do that a lot, didn't he? Yeah,
2: which is all mixed in with they kind of leaving fame behind or possible Mm. fame Mm. or not pursuing things Mm. and being the bane of record company executives. So as uh, David said, he started out as a member of Soft Machine when they were the other premier underground psychedelic band, The Pink Floyd being their partners mm. in crime in this area. They comprised of Robert Wyatt on drums and vocals, Kevin Ayers on bass and vocals, David Allen, later of Gust- uh, the originator of gong mm. uh, on guitar, and uh, Mike Raskage on keyboards now there was Fabulous a yeah, it is you know sadly they only made one single and you know you can get a cd of their demo tapes and various other uh posthumous rela- releases as with all these uh great cult artists you know that some of them tend to release a lot more records over the last 40 years than they ever did when they were <laughs> sort of operational so uh Keminez was also involved in the Wild Flowers, which is a famous uh, proto band of um, Soft Machine, which we should say the Soft Machine at that point yes. to mm. get the uh, the wording correct with the uh, mid 60s and late 60s kind of vernacular, um, as was Caravan, a band called the Wild Flowers, which had various teen teenage members that would go on to be in those bands and also maybe started off this mythological canterbury scene which a lot of the members you probably know yourself Kevin, there that Sort of deny it
0: existed, you know. Yeah, it's the major disputed, players, the I, can't, I can't think why, because it, it's very important.
2: Well, I think it might be because some of them didn't do a lot of playing around in Canterbury pubs or something. Though the Wildflowers did a lot of stuff around mm. that area. Mm. Now, Kevin used to write lots of the songs, and there's certain of his uh, the songs that weren't recorded bubble up on these subsequent solo albums, mm. such as "Shooting at the Moon," mm. which was originally called jet Propelled Photograph." Wow. Uh, you know, it's a wonderful title, <laughs> great, isn't it? Great. And Clarence in Wonderland. Yes. <laughs> That's another yeah. one. Yes. And if you get the um, the uh, Soft Machine BBC sessions 67 to 71, you have this just one 20-minute set by uh, the three-piece Soft Machine and mm. Clarence in mm. Wonderland is one of the tracks, mm.
0: plus mm. another song. So, um one interesting point though, uh Bill, um regarding these sort of the only album that Soft Machine ever made. It's produced by Chas Chandler.
2: Yes. Um no the single was. Oh right, sorry. I <laughs> think it was Tom Wilson produced the album. I thought I thought it was both of them. Oh it might be Well he's definitely under that management, because they they hung out with Hendrix. Yes. Also another uh production um Fat was the B side of the of the first soft machine single with mm. the only record release recording with David Allen on yeah. and Squealing was produced by uh, Kim Fowley. All right, right. was yeah. a notorious yeah. uh LA scenester. Mm-hmm. He was part of the B Bumble and the Rockers back in nineteen or he was B Bumble and the Rockers, the mm. the Nut Rocker thing um back in nineteen sixty two. Yeah. Based on the Tchaikovsky. He uh, was a a dancer with, what's it, Leto's? Those dancers in the Whiskey A Go-Go. And then he he contributed to some of the birds' songs Mm -hmm. in the Chestnut Mare era. Right. And then he found the runaways and exploited them. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, Mm. uh, you know, he's he's definitely one of those people, you Mm. know. Mm. Um, So... Kevin Ayers leaves Soft Machine after two gruelling uh, American tours uh, supporting Jimmy Hendrix experience in 1968, mm. uh, where he, he, he just decided to sell his bass and go over to warmer climes. Mm. I think he went to Mallorca then, actually.
0: Yeah, but he became very productive in the songwriting.
2: Oh, stuff. yes, and I think he had been. And then he, he, obviously, he picked up an option from Harvest and... Mm. Uh, they produced his first uh, four solo albums for On mm. Harvest. Joy of a Toy, Joy of a Toy is a magnificent piece of work, Kevin. It is. I know amazing. it's an especially uh, favourite album of yours.
0: It is. It is. It's, it's one of the one of the best, you know, first solo albums by anybody. Yes. Yeah. It's a wonderful album. Mm.
2: And I might say at this point that it does uh, have members of soft machine involved in it
0: yeah yeah exactly which is which is brilliant I'm, I'm you know so glad that they kind of stayed together really yeah yes, yeah yeah in, in some form anyway. well they're all friends you know, yes yeah, yeah
2: you know and, and members of soft machine still go on and be on these subsequent albums mm. here and mm. there right up to the end mm. you know which i'm sure we're going to mention later yeah. on oh, the, yeah, yeah. the famous
0: word but what <laughs> i always liked about his songwriting style i know he sort of was he was sort of he went into the avant-garde as well but there's, there was always a lot of whimsy in there the, you know it was it was brilliant how we how we how we came across with it it's very sunny isn't it oh it, it's it just puts a smile on your face he, straight he brought, away
2: he brought the sunshine from those places he was constantly fleeing yes it yes. didn't mean he was it didn't mean he was sort of inactive in those places because a friend of mine went to Spain in 1980, and he he just missed seeing the Kevin Ayers band in some Spanish small Spanish town, mm. and uh, and he actually made in his fallow period he made about three albums out there, mm. which mm. you know tend to be forgotten about in a way and are weaker than his great albums.
0: Mm. So, Bill, any start-up tracks from Joy of a Tie? That's very
2: difficult, actually, Kevin, because I love so many of the tracks. I mean, most people uh, think of Lady Rachel. Mm-hmm. You know, Beautiful song. Uh, but then I like Song for Insane Times. Mm-hmm. I know it's got a lot of soft machine on it and really kind of bizarre lyrics. And yeah. I found out in a Barry Miles book it, that it was uh, published in the International Times, a poem in 1967. Oh, wow which yeah. is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. showing how involved with the British underground these people were, mm-hmm. you know, not just as musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really like uh, the Stop That Train. Mm-hmm. That's a really mm-hmm. good one. And mm-hmm. just so many. The yeah. the one where the girl on a swing.
0: Yeah, girl on a swing is fabulous.
2: Wonderful kind of mm-hmm. wah y sort yeah. of sound. that It's like you're into a British pastoral scene mm. but the, the lysergic acid is almost dripping off the strings of yeah. her swing mm. you know mm. it's like you feel there's this kind of halcyon beautiful space of mm. beautiful poetic men with sort of flowing scarves and yeah. lovely girls with cheesecloth and sun going through the grass and green mm. trees and mm. Need I go on. I think you're selling it, Bill. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean the the what was it, the Clarietta Clarieta rag. Sorry, yeah. I think I think that's a great
2: That's pretty wacky, isn't it's it? It's very really? well I mean
0: the opening the opening sort of so the Joy, a bit, Joy, a, of, a, yeah, Joy yeah. of a Toy continued. Yeah. yeah, Joy, yeah. It's, it's bonkers. It's nothing like the
2: Joy of a Toy on the soft machine, arm, no, which is a like kind no. of bass solo. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, no, the yeah. clarietta rag. You know, so that's almost feminist as well, that mm. you, you know, you can't sort of you know mess around with this woman on a little lambretta. Mm. You mm. know. And then you have a folky songwriter at the end of the yes. of the album mm. with harmonica on and the things.
0: Yeah. It's if, just a great there's nowhere that it won't go, which and, I which I think is great. And you
2: love the the artwork as well. Don't the you art
0: the, the cover is 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 beautiful, it really is.
2: It fits in with that kind of zeitgeist of those times with, you know, Victoriana, doesn't it? Mm. And mm. You know, there's other covers that have got, well, Music for a Doll's House, like Family, that has Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good good,
2: good one, yeah. And uh, there's various other ones with sort of dolls on and strange kind of children's... I think this whole thing in that era, it fitted in with the idea that children could see truth, but it's just done so well on that. I think oh, it's to be with the kind of backing of the yellow on it as far mm, Yeah, out. yeah,
0: it, it stands out from everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Which brings us to album number two. Shooting at the Moon, 1970. Which
2: is, which is so different on some levels, even mm. though it's similar on others. Mm. You know, he's got an actual band now. Yeah, the whole world. You know, and he had David Bedford doing string mm. arrangements on mm. the album before, but now he's playing keyboards. Yes. And you've yeah. got Lol Coxhill, who I remember being at school and... He was seen as older and a bit, you know, a, strip, a bit of an oddball, you know, the, this famous bald busker with little round glasses, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I remember, remember at school, I was thinking, well, busker, yeah. Kevin just got him off the street or something? <laughs> but it's a bit, it's a more more complicated than that because mm-hmm. he himself is a standout avant-garde character mm-hmm. himself. And then yeah. when I went to college in 1974, I saw him, you know, in concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of many times...
0: Mm-hmm. But it's here that a certain young Mike Oldfield well, appears. right,
2: playing um, bass and guitar. And yeah. Kevin handled mm. bass and guitar mm. Mm. on that. And there are some very avant-garde tracks. There's one called Underwater, which is just like um, detuning and tuning up guitars, <laughs> really. And I don't mean that as a way of negating mm. its strength, really. Mm. But... uh you know, they still have a lot of... I oh, oh, that song for the Insane, that one, mm. that's really great. Mm. And that kind of processing on... Kevin had this voice where he could do this kind of growly, yeah. scary, mm. apart from his whimsical kind of mm. smooth, bassy baritone voice. Yeah. Mm. He could do this scary voice, which mm. actually used to come into the kind of soft machine where he'd make kind of grumbly noises, you mm. know, and mm. things that... Mm. Very much part of their kind of trip of the time. That's right,
0: that's right. And don't forget, you've also got Bridget St John there as well.
2: Oh, Bridget St John! Yes, that's where I first met her. Mm. Well, mm. I'm feeling figurative. <laughs> <Yeah>. thinking, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. That's mm. a, yeah. That's a wonderful track. Yeah, yeah, fabulous. Yeah, the flying fish and the oyster. Is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So he makes uh, four albums on Harvest, and as far as I can see, I love them all. Some people say that ones are better than others, but none of them
0: are bad. Then that's true. It's yeah. very, very consistent. Yeah. Very all consistent. those four albums are all worthwhile. Mm. I mean, all yeah. the all these title tracks for these albums are incredible, aren't they, really? When you oh, think they about are, it. yes, yes. They, they really make you think.
2: Yeah, his he's, he's yeah. words,
0: mm. his wordage. Yeah,
2: exactly. As you might say, he's just wonderful, really. I right? mean,
0: his, his fifth album, The Confessions of Dr. Dream and Other Stories, 1974, Brilliant, brilliant title. And a move from Harvest to Island Records.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, which is why, which yeah, I'm sure you're going to tell us about now, there was a special concert put on to Harold's
0: uh, Her- <laughs> move to Island Records. Yeah, a very, very special concert. With some
2: other people that were on Island
0: Records. Yeah, who, who were they, Bill? Who were they? <laughs> yeah. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they were stablemates, weren't they? So Brian Eno, John Cale, Nico. yeah. Uh, Mike Oldfield was also on stage Robert Wyatt and Ollie Halsall as well yes well they're all there
2: Ollie Halsall has become a regular part of the band when I first saw Kevin Edd in 1974 he was the lead guitarist mm-hmm. you know so uh, he's only on Doctor Dream he's only on the um, uh, one track Yeah, didn't know, um, didn't know I missed uh, sorry, didn't know I was lonely until I thought of you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he plays the most wild guitar yeah, yeah, of course. He's a famous uh cult guitarist and mm-hmm. the band, Pato.
0: Yes, yes, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, Sweet Deceiver
2: 1975, yeah. Well, that's got Elton John on a couple it of times,
0: yeah. It has, and yeah. The um, circular letter that's one that's a now yeah.
2: that's a weird track, yeah. Very weird, that's a weird track. Uh, a great track about cults, David. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, circularity. So you ought to check it out.
0: Yeah, very much so. Really good. Yeah. So then we're kind of going to the bit the wilderness years, really. Oh no, no, no,
2: no, think? no, no! I'd I'd say I knew supporters for the next album. Mm. They uh, yes, we have no Manianas. That's got some good tracks on. You ought to check out the track Blue. Right now, that's not necessarily a weird track, but it's got the most excruciatingly beautiful tune Mm. and guitar solo well a sort of chorus and guitar solo that Mm. just gets you in the core it gets me in the core and it goes on for a wonderfully long time
0: yeah um and he's back on harvest again
2: yes he was on harvest for three Mm. albums Mm. and the next rainbow takeaway that's got some weirdness on it Mm. he's got collaborators like anthony moore out of slap happy on that right who uh, are a band we should maybe talk about at some point. Mm-hmm. They're a pretty mm-hmm. strange band. Uh, um,
0: and that's what you get, Berg, 1980?
2: Yeah, I, was, I, I got a bit disappointed then, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I'm, it might just be one of my little things, but Mr Evans only plays guitar on one track. Yeah. He, yeah, he comes back in 1988 after doing a session for Mike Oldfield, mm-hmm. who by this time was quite...
0: Quite, quite big by then yeah well
2: it was pretty big i mean he <laughs> yeah. passed his suit it's one is like on a on a level at that point obviously, yeah really a yes. level of yeah sort of record sales he probably wasn't as kind of making a big explosion like he was initially mm. but uh then kevin gets a uh a virgin record contract and brings out an album yes a very produced album in certain ways, but it had its. It was better than those Spanish albums, mm, the ones I'm, mm, like, you know, the Diamond Jack
0: and all that. Yeah, sort of albums. Is this I'd fa- say. falling up? Is this, yeah, yeah falling, falling up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's actually being re-released shortly with with extra tracks on them. Oh, I'll have to race yeah. out and buy it. Yeah, 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 yeah one as well. I think
2: so. Yeah, and and the next album, the Still Life with Guitars, not bad. Mm-hmm. It's a bit muted, maybe compared to his great works. Mm. And then, of course, there's his uh, final, his great final album, <sighs>
0: the final album, "The Unfair Ground." Yeah, fa- mm.
2: fantastic title, fantastic yeah, artwork, fabulous. Mm. A cast of Kevin Fans, yes, plus old muckers,
0: yes, and not forgetting the Wyatt Tron Bill, <laughs> yes, the
2: Wyatt Tron, <laughs> which I always imagined uh, was Robert Wyatt's voice sampled and then yeah. played on a keyboard
0: it's incredible isn't you know, it uh, in the modern
2: yeah. sense but they've yeah. thought of some more old school way of footing it yeah you know? yeah exactly i mean it takes me back to shooting the moon when the whole earth whole world chorus which has got robert wyatt's voice in it you know mm. Mm. yeah it's fantastic uh, 2007 isn't it the unfair yeah. grounds. Yep. also has the uh, main man out of gorky's uh Zygotic Mincy, uh, mm. who were unashamed Soft Machine Kevin Ayer's fans, mm. the mm. rather idiosyncratic Welsh
0: band. They'll all been queuing up to work with him, won't they, really?
2: Oh, of course they yeah. would, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh. Um, Sadly, Kevin passed away.
2: 2013? Yeah, yeah. February 18, 2013. A man who stewed fame. Mm. You know, he had all the talents to be able to be a quite a big pop star, really, in one sense, if that's not a naff way of putting it. It's the sort of word he'd use, or Robert Wyatt, mm, mm. you know, that it just didn't bother him, really. No.
0: He was one of the greatest, Bill.
2: Yeah, he certainly was. Mm. And I'm always happy that, I'm, that he's been a hero of mine ever mm. since, you know, I was about 16 yeah. and mm. there's nothing being able to push him off that no. sort of throne in my head.
0: No, totally agree.
2: You know. Music, singing,
1: gibberish. In this section, I haven't heard of that either. We are here to find the content you did not know you wanted. And Bill is going to start off with a absolute classic album.
2: Uh, yes, David, I'm going to speak about Quicksilver Messenger Service's first album. Now, Quicksilver Messenger Service are part of the big four first-generation San Francisco bands, the others being... Uh, Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane and Big Brother and Holding Company. And they're probably the least well-known now. You might think, Ooh, who are Big Brother and Holding Company? But they're, they're quite famous because their lead singer was Janice Joplin. Mm-hmm. Quicksilver, or as they're sometimes called, um, they're, they were the last of the uh, San Francisco bands uh, to get a, a major record contract, partly because <coughs> they couldn't be bothered. Uh, they were making a nice living, enjoying themselves around the Bay Area. You know, what's the problem? So when they did get one, because record companies, as you probably know, when there's a new phenomenon in music, you know, fight over sort of hand and fist to, to sign up new bands. It happened with Merseybeat, and it happened with the San Francisco sound in 1966, 67, 68. So their first album didn't come out in 68 and those other three had already had albums out in the previous year in fact Jefferson Airplane had their first out in 1966 they got a very very good deal from Capitol uh, hanging out so long and uh, even though their first album isn't the one that became incredibly famous with sort of uh, underground fans in Britain that would be Happy Trails which was mostly live which came out the next year the this, I feel, is a wonderful album. The, the band was originally a five-piece, but by this time it shrunk down to a four-piece and it had the dual guitars of John Cipollino and Gary Duncan, who, which meshed in a wonderful ways, which was shown even more on the next year's live album. Uh, bassist David Freiberg, who sang and played some viola, and drummer Greg Elmore. There are six tracks on the album. Uh, The first one, Pride of Man, was written by a very obscure Jamaican singer-songwriter. Another song that's not written by the band is uh, Dino's Song, which was written by a cult singer-songwriter from Greenwich Village who um, was there right at the beginning of the band's history and would rejoin the band when they had even greater chart success. But to that uh, very, very uh, rarefied British crowd, Uh, his inclusion would spoil the original magic of this four-piece, which, uh, what else can I say but go and listen to this album. It's only about half an hour long. Kevin, what what, what are you going to tell us
0: about? Right, I've got uh, an album here that's been on the cards for decades, (laughs) Uh, the March Violets, Made Glorious. So the March Violets, the post-punk gothic rock band formed in Leeds in 1981. Though numerous singles and EPs were released, the band never actually released a full-length album. This all changed in 2013 when Made Glorious was given a limited release, but only really for fans who had pledged support in uh, via crowdfunding, that kind of thing. Record Store Day 2023 saw the album released for the first time as intended on double purple vinyl and it's actually a thing of beauty. It's absolutely incredible. The title track, Made Glorious, is an incredible opener and there's not a filler in sight here. What stands out for me are Rosie Garland's vocals and harmonies as they intertwine with those of Si Denby. Very sadly, Si suffered a stroke in 2016 so I won't be taking part in an upcoming tour. Uh, Made Glorious is now available for streaming as well as on CD and download for everyone now, so everyone can have a listen to it. Uh, the Record Store Day vinyl release is still available from some independent record stores and, and on eBay, but it's, it's quite expensive now. Um, a five-CD box set, Uh, called The Palace of Infinite Darkness, is also available from Jungle Records and includes nearly everything you could wish for, including the John Peel, Kid Jensen and Richard Skinner uh, sessions. It's all great stuff. If you're into goth music, that kind of thing, go get this album.
1: Thanks very much. Um, Stalberts of a lead scene.
0: Most definitely, Label Mets with the Sisters of Mercy.
1: Yeah, yeah, part of that whole. I mean, Leeds has mm. never had a great music movement like Birmingham or especially Manchester and Liverpool. Mm. But we've got our little niche. Yep, and another glorious northern city with a fantastic uh, music heritage is Sheffield. And that brings me on to my recommendation this week, Bleep and Boosters, the world of Bleep and Booster CD. I'm building some themes here with previous episodes. I'm recommending an electronic music album, and uh, it's got some tenuous connections, perhaps, the most tenuous connections with previous recommendations, uh, released in 94, the same as the uh, Underworld album mentioned every week. And just as The Grid featured David Ball of Soft Cell, Bleep and Booster was founded by ABC's Stephen Singleton with fellow studio owner David Lewin. Um, musically, it it's got to be listened to. It is just lush, beautiful, layered string synths um, samples. Uh, a Japanese uh, fan uh, sent me a cassette with some Japanese greetings on it, and they sampled it and put it on the <laughs> on the album and on some previous twelve uh, inch releases as well. Um, it has copious sleeve notes which leave the pretension of propaganda from the early 80s, if anyone gets that reference, um, way behind. <laughs> very, very interesting sleeve notes. Anything that mentions Dadaism and David Bowie in a paragraph is, uh, is worth a look at. I saw them live, this is I came across them, at the EMMA Festival in Sheffield in 95, and the, the rumour at the time was that they weren't on the set list, they just kind of gatecrashed, crashed turned up and went, Oh, we Bleep and Booster. The organisers went, Oh, we'll find you a slot. And um, I've got very fond memories of that day. So that's um, still available. You can stream it, and I think you can get it with a CD um, online. So that's the world of Bleep and Booster. Thanks very much, everyone. Hmm.
2: Well,
0: that seems to be all
1: until we meet again. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of 5282, which is a out-of-left-field production. You can follow us on X at OOLF Presents 5282 and OOLF Presents 5282 on Facebook. And that's for numbers 5, 2, 8 and 2. The producer was Kevin Petch. Engineering and editing was by David Benn. And William Asbury was on piano. Five twenty two is part of the Aircast family.